I've been getting in my steps, lifting weights, and now I'm trying really hard to get as much protein as I can. That's why I'm excited about trying Clean Simple Eats because they're just that, clean and simple. Their protein powder is always grass-fed with no seed oils or artificial ingredients. It's third-party tested and non-GMO and gluten-free. They've got 26 delicious all-natural flavors. You really can't go wrong with any of them. They've got Simply Vanilla and other unique flavors like cookies and cream, caramel toffee, and even cinnamon roll. I have a feeling my entire family may just like Clean Simple Eats protein powder, and they're probably going to use it every day because it's so easy to put into your milk or a recipe my daughter loves to bake or in a smoothie, which my son loves to drink almost every day. You can It's amazing really in any form. Visit cleansimpleeats.com and use the code ASKLISA20 at checkout for 20% off your first order. That's cleansimpleeats.com with the code ASKLISA20 for 20% off your first order. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This is Ask Lisa, a podcast to help people understand the psychology of parenting, now in the midst of a pandemic. Psychologist Dr. Lisa Demore, author of two New York Times bestselling parenting books, takes your questions. And I'm co-host Rena Ninen, a journalist and mom of two. Some of what we talk about comes from raising children ourselves. Most of the time, I'll be getting answers to your parenting questions. So send your questions to AskLisa at DrLisaDemore.com. Episode 8, How to Support Kids with School When the Wheels Are Coming Off. The stories, the news stories around the world talking about coronavirus now up in Europe, skyrocketing in India. I know we kind of had a sense this could be coming, but adding to that, trying to get the kids learning and back in school, it is a lot to juggle. It is. And I think, you know, I know a lot of schools have found ways, managed to get kids back in the buildings. And when you see those numbers, you feel like, oof, it might be short-lived. This may not last nearly as long as we want it to. And, you know, everyone's trying to figure out what's next. And it's always the uncertainty that's kind of hard to stomach, right? When you don't know what could be coming. Absolutely. We got this letter I want to read to you. It says, your podcast has been a true tonic for us. You're hitting all the nails right on the head. Last week, I thought of you when I checked my 14-year-old daughter's grades and immediately riddled her full of questions about her missing work and overall poor performance. Her response was simply vile. She's the only girl of my four kids and her emotions are off the charts, hostile at times, punching her brothers, saying mean things to them. And her response to schoolwork, it's all virtual, was to condescendingly say, quote, it's stupid, mom, and I don't want to do it. Basically, that's her response to a lot of things these days. What can I do to meet this behavior with some effectiveness? I tried talking to her about choices and consequences and even a mini pep talk. And she looked me dead on and said, quote, I don't even care, mom, just leave. It's so disappointing to see her apathetic and mean. 
I was in tears once alone, thinking how her life is so nice. How can she be so crappy? Help. Oof. <laughs> That's an emotional roller coaster in two paragraphs. I mean, there's a lot happening there. Where does this mom even start, Lisa? Oh, right? Um, okay, so putting on my psychologist hat, here's the first thought I have. When we think about kids in emotional distress, there are two terms that tend to come to mind right away for psychologists. They are internalizing and externalizing, which is basically where they point the distress. And so internalizing is how we describe things like becoming very anxious or becoming very depressed or withdrawn, basically collapsing in on themselves. And so that's one form in which we see distress. And then there's externalizing, which is basically acting out and being really hard on the people around them and, you know, beating up on your brothers and telling your mom it's all dumb and she's, you know, not being helpful. And so this girl, and it's interesting that she's a girl because we tend to associate internalizing with girls and externalizing with boys. This girl is using externalizing behavior to express her distress. The challenge is it's hard to empathize with externalizing behavior. It's hard to feel a lot of empathy for a kid who's mm -hmm. being so icky <laughs> to be around. It just turns you off. It just completely turns you off. It does. It does. And it's easier in a way when your kid is sad and weepy or down or nervous to find, you know, the, the tender, comforting side of ourselves as parents. And you have to go the extra mile to summon that when your kid's being really a pill. And, you know, like this kid, you know, taking it out on everyone around her. But the key in taking it back to those terms is to remember it's about distress. And actually, kids are in distress right now. I am seeing it clinically. My colleagues are seeing it clinically. It, this is, I mean, we're not that far into it. And I think that's part of the problem. People are like, we are not that far into it. And it's already really taking it out of us. But we're seeing kids who are internalizing, collapsing in on themselves. And I am also hearing what this mom is talking about, about kids at home being pretty awful, beating up on, you know, their siblings, beating up on themselves sometimes out of sheer frustration. And so the place to start is to recognize, and you know, this is a very small but an important first step, this kiddo's in pain. This is discomfort and distress, however she happens to show it to her mother. The, the kid is obviously in pain. You talk about going that extra mile to find the tenderness. How do you get everyone to walk off the ledge and come down at this point? That's interesting that you say the idea of like being on a ledge, you know, getting into these really tense and hot moments with kids, which is what happened in this in this email where the mom describes, you know, that, you know, she saw that the girl hadn't been handing stuff in. They got into a really testy conversation right away. And if we think about ledges and we think about what you want to do with ledges, you want to back away from them. Right? You probably are not going to have much success having a really deep, intense conversation when everybody feels like things are so precarious. A first step in any interaction like this is to not try to get very far when everybody's really mad. 
So one, you know, so if the first step is to find some tenderness for this kiddo, regardless of how she's acting, a second step would be to stand down, actually, to say, look, I'm in a bad place. You're in a bad place. Let's cool off and come back when we're both ready to have this conversation. That would be a good maneuver at this point. Not saying it'll work, but it would be a good thing to try. So you let people sort of cool off. When do you revisit it? And and do you run the risk of people just feeling like you're ignoring them? Or do you feel that cool off time is important? And then how do you regroup and, and come back at it again? I think if you if you just retreat, which is something we see sometimes when people do in conflict, they just go to their corners and wait for the discomfort to die down, but they never come back and actually deal with the conflict. I think if you do that, it does feel fundamentally dismissive or that, you know, the parent's not taking the kid seriously. And and we don't want to do that. But to re-engage or to lay the table for re-engagement in a way that could be successful, you know, we could imagine saying things to kids like, look, you're mad, I'm mad. This is not going to go well if we keep talking. Can we check back in in a half an hour? You know, or can I catch you later today? Can we make a plan to talk later when we've both had a chance to get ourselves to a better place? So you could even, I mean, this is corny, but I would recommend it. Pick a time, ask the kid for a time, make it clear that you're not walking away. You just want to have a much more successful conversation than they're having at the time. Whether it's a kid or another adult, you know, I just feel like everyone's na- nerves are just so fried right now. And any sort of semblance of patience is truly in short supply. How do you, when you reach this breaking point and everybody's angry at each other, you say to retreat, figure out a time, and then when you have that conversation, what's important? That idea of not showing up for the conversation when you're already at your breaking point, I think is really well said. And and I'm so aware as I'm watching myself navigate my days, and then as I'm around people who are getting through their days, that um, I feel like a lot of times we're, we're like vessels that are filled to the absolute brim with frustration or distress. And we walk around, you know, barely not spilling. <laughs> and mm-hmm. then you know, you open your kid's grades and you see that she's not turning stuff in. Or you, this mom says, you know, I, I tried to give her a pep talk and she still was really salty with me. You know, you give it your college try and it goes badly. And I think, and I'm watching this happen in myself and other people, that people then overflow. People are then really frustrated, even around things that maybe a year ago this time, they just could have tolerated because they weren't already at their limit as a result of six months of pandemic living and all of the, Mm. you know, challenges that come with it. So part of what I would say between the moment of the hot conversation and the I'll see you later and we'll have this conversation again would probably be something along the lines of deliberately lowering the water level, you know, going for a walk outside, going and exercising. I think a lot of people are finding that a workout is their best friend right now, just in terms of taking down their overall tension So it's probably not enough, right, as we think it through, just to say, I feel too intense, you feel too intense, let's talk at four. You need to do something between (laughs) that moment and four to get to a place where you can actually have a really um, meaningful conversation, but it might be a really hard conversation, and you want to come in not at your limit already. 
I want to go back to the meanness, Lisa, that she talks about the hitting, the acting out. Yeah. What advice do you have for parents who are experiencing that? What is really effective in getting them to stop that behavior? Well, the first thing, just to be really, you know, just to name it, you know, so it's okay for a kid to be upset. Hitting, name calling, those are totally over the line. And and I, I would not want a parent to dismiss that behavior as like, well, she's upset, so she hit her brother. You know, like, yes, she's upset, and no, she can't hit her brother. And I am sure this this mom and, you know, parents everywhere have made those rules. Like, you know, no parent says like, you know, sure, go ahead and hit your brother. I don't mind. Um, but that doesn't mean they always stick. But I think it's really critical that we have empathy for this girl side by side with parameters that mean something at home. So for sure, the mom could say, like, you are over the line. You cannot go after your brothers that way. You can't talk to them that way. You can't talk to me that way. I think that should be, those should be words that are ready in every parent's mouth. In my experience, kids find it pretty weird when grownups don't draw those lines. It's pretty frightening to kids if they are allowed to do stuff that they know is unacceptable and grownups don't step in or say something or punish them. And I'll come back to the question of punishment. I think for kids, if they're like, okay, I just hit my brother and you didn't do anything, it can give them the sense of like, okay, who are the grownups around here? How out of control are we going to be allowed to be? That's pretty scary. So go ahead and draw that line. Oh, that's a good point. Have you, I mean, like, we've got this in our families, right, where we've got kids who... (laughs) who tangle with each other. What have you heard, Rina, like from other parents or from your own experience about like what what to do in the, in the sort of that tense moment? So my kids will always tell me what doesn't work is raising your voice. And sometimes I don't even realize that I'm raising my voice or the tone. They always tell me, we have a thing in my house, mom, tone, tone. <laughs> and uh, it's something that I obviously would um, would say to them. And they have no fear about throwing it back to me. Of course. Of course. This happens all the time in parenting. All the time in parenting. So I think they're right. Um, I think it's almost impossible not to raise our voice or to be perceived as having raised our voices. You know, the goal, this is a theme that we'll return to over and over again. You know, the goal is verbalization. The kids can have any feeling they want. They cannot use their bodies to show it. <laughs> we talked about mm-hmm. this in the mm-hmm. in the podcast about social behavior. And so, you know, this 14-year-old can be really mad at her brothers. She can be really annoyed with everybody in the family. But what needs to be said here as a parent is to say, you can be angry with your brother. You can't hit him. You can be frustrated with me. You can't call me names. And to really articulate what is and is not acceptable. And then I mentioned punishment. Some kids can pivot on the spot. Most kids can't. And so a very effective way at many ages, probably not deep into adolescence, but certainly younger ages, is to say, leave until you can come back and do what you're supposed to do. Leave until you can come back and use your words. Tell us how you feel as opposed to show us. And that leaving, that that asking a kid to separate themselves is really appropriate because the way the world works is that if you're acting like a jerk, nobody wants to be with you. And it's really important that our kids learn that at home. 
And so that idea that you can't be in our presence and conduct yourself that way is a good thing to establish as a universal rule and to help kids feel uncomfortable with themselves when they're acting in ways that other people will not want to be around. Mm. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back on the Ask Lisa podcast. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. We spend a lot of time teaching our kids please and thank you. But one thing I've realized I haven't spent a lot of time teaching my children is how to be financially responsible. We started using the Greenlight app, and it's made a difference in helping them have that conversation about money and to really understand how it can affect their lives. Greenlight's a debit card and a money app that's made for families. I can send money to my kids, keep an eye on their spending and their savings. I didn't think I would need this app, but my kids are absolutely loving it and they're getting the concept of what it means to save. I love the lessons they're learning. I love the games they're playing. I love that they are being educated at a younger age that you need to learn how to save. Sign up for the Greenlight app today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash asklisa. That's greenlight.com slash asklisa to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash asklisa. I'm all for healthy habits, but I don't trust quick fixes. This is why I love Daily Harvest. They take all of the work out of eating well, and all I have to do is enjoy. Daily Harvest makes it so easy for me to eat in the nutritious and delicious ways that I like. They take the planning, the prep, the cleanup out of cooking, and they deliver meals that are packed with vegetables and fruits straight to my door. The other thing I love about them is that it's not the same old boring meals. I love their dragon fruit and lime smoothie. I also love their butternut squash and rosemary soup. They also have this wonderful herbed squash and asparagus risotto. Create healthy habits that last with Daily Harvest. For a limited time only, go to dailyharvest.com slash asklisa to get $30 off your first box plus free shipping. That's dailyharvest.com slash asklisa for $30 off your first box and free shipping. dailyharvest.com slash ask Lisa. Earth Breeze Eco Sheets look just like a dryer sheet, but instead of being a dryer sheet, they're in fact an ultra-concentrated liquidless laundry detergent. It's really the best of all worlds. Earth Breeze is tough on stains and odors while being kind to the planet and to your skin. Personally, I get a huge kick out of using Earth Breeze. I love the fact that it takes up less space, is better for the environment, and yet it leaves my clothes smelling so good and it gets them so clean. Here's the bottom line. Making a positive impact in the world doesn't have to come at a cost to you. My clothes are clean, they smell great, and I feel like I actually did something good, not just for my laundry, but also for the earth. Right now, my listeners can receive 40% off EarthBreeze just by going to earthbreeze.com asklisa. That's earthbreeze.com asklisa to cut out single-use plastic in your laundry room and claim 40% off your subscription. earthbreeze.com slash asklisa. Welcome back to the Ask Lisa podcast. What are some other options? Like, is it good to get them to problem solve? Do they feel good about it? Do teens just get turned off by that? What, what works in that mindset? You can't make a teen do anything. <laughs> this is like, this is a <laughs> fundamental rule. <laughs> But you can sort of do the um, the write your own ending. Like, I'm going to give you options. You get to choose. And so another, you know, kind of 
thing that this mom might try with this teenage daughter is to say, look, you can tell me how much you don't like school. You can tell me how much you don't like your brothers. You can um, be utterly pleasant to be around, or you can ask for some space. These are the options. Anything outside of that is out of the question. And, and so you're so, giving them choices. Absolutely, give choices. And I actually really do like for snarky teenagers or when teenagers are feeling snarky, um, I like the option of saying, okay, you can be polite, you can be super fun, or you can say that you need some space. Full stop, those are the choices. And those are fair because sometimes the kid just needs space. And to put that on the menu, to say you're allowed to excuse yourself in a polite way, gives them that room. That is so good. That is so good to know that you can give them those options and that it's okay to be honest with them about it. Yeah. You know, it's funny, Rena. I hadn't thought about this for a long time, but I just was reminded of it. I had a teenage boy in my practice and, um, you know, he had done something that made his mom mad and she was upset with him and he stormed off, which made her really upset. And he got in more trouble for storming mm-hmm. off. Mm-hmm. And the boy, when I was meeting with him, he he told me something, which re- really he taught me something. I was like, well, so what happened? Like, why'd you walk out? And he said, I was afraid I was going to hit her. Wow. And I was like, oh, right? And like, good job, buddy, <laughs> you know, to like walk yeah. away. And that, I think, was when I started to appreciate that teenagers actually need permission and probably guidance on how to exit a conversation that's not going well without getting in more trouble. I think sometimes that's what happens is that the parent feels like it's being disrespectful and the teenager consciously or not is like, get me out of here before I do or say something that is going to make this so much worse. Wow, that is so powerful. Like giving somebody an out to exit a conversation. I mean, that has never, that thought has never occurred to me ever. I, conflict happens, I want to deal with it and move on. And you're saying that might be the worst thing. Give people an out and then reevaluate when cooler heads prevail. Yeah, yeah. And I think not all grownups can keep their head in a conflict. And <laughs> true, it's harder for teenagers. They, you know, they run intense. And so they probably more than grownups need permission to engage when regulated is what I would yeah. call it. <laughs> you know, I want to I would circle back to this letter. What do you make, Lisa, the complaints that this mom is talking about, you know, the disengagement from school? It's just so hard, especially for those parents out there who are, have any component of remote learning, just staying on top of it, trying to do your work. I mean... I want to be disengaged from remote oh, learning. I don't man. blame them, oh, right? Man. But we can't. We can't. Well, we can't. No. <laughs> but, um, you know, so the reason I think I, I have devoted my life to teenagers is they tend to be very clear-eyed. And I love that. I love that about them. I mean, they just see things. They see things. You know, they see right through grown-ups, which not all grown-ups love. And when this girl is saying, school's really dumb, I don't see the point, I don't think we should dismiss that entirely. I think there's probably a decent chance that a lot of what she's doing feels tedious or is tedious. She may be doing a bunch of busy work. I think no matter how hard schools have worked, and they have worked so hard to figure out how to move school online, it's not perfect. And 
they I know schools would be the first to say it. Everybody's trying to adjust and figure this out. But even the same work that might have been boring but tolerable in school, and I have nothing against boring work. I actually think there's a lot to be said for some busy work and boring work in school. But it's a lot less boring if, like, there's that cute kid in class who you get to look at every once in a while, right? Or if you get to, like, you know, choose your genes because you know, you know, who you're going to see in the, you know, third period, passing period. You know, all of that stuff that makes the tedium that is school, even the best school, bearable, now that's gone. Right. And so when this girl's like, is dumb, I don't want to do it. I think a reasonable reaction would be like, yeah, I bet. <laughs> you know, I, I get yeah. it. I hear you. Yeah. And just start there. And and that may give some some relief, just the sense that, you know, okay, you get it, which goes very far. And then what's really cool with teenagers is if you're like, yeah, that does look dumb. I totally see what you're talking about. They'll often then say, oh, except for this one class, actually, it's really fun. And mm. and once we um, aren't fighting them <laughs> on what they don't like, they are often then able to take a rounder view of the whole thing. But when we say, no, it's great. I'm sure it's fantastic they entrench themselves in a disagreement about that particular point, and you don't really get to have the broader conversation. Hmm. That's so interesting. I, I, I want to also, it kind of hurt my heart reading this, but I want to go back to the mom's sadness, the sense that this girl's life is actually so nice, and she doesn't appreciate any of it. Mm, I know. I know. <laughs> the, the image of this mom getting time to herself and just feeling weepy about her daughter is is painful. And I also think not uncommon right now where parents mm-hmm. are doing their best to parent through really, really, I mean, just miserable circumstances. I just, I don't even want to try to downplay them at all. And then having only moderate, if minimal success, I think a lot of parents are getting to themselves and getting some time to themselves and feeling pretty weepy. And And I guess it's true that this girl's life, you know, I trust the mom's report, is on balance, a good one, a loving one. I mean, she's got a mom who loves her so much she's willing to write to strangers to ask for help, right? <laughs> Kudos to the mom for yes. that, too, for seeking help. I think that's so important in this time. Absolutely. I guess the way I like to think about that is this. Complaining and gratitude don't live on the same plane. So... I sometimes complain about my job. I love my job, and I am grateful for my job. Those are two completely different things. Rena, you know what I mean? Like, what have you complained about that, of course, you're grateful for it? I've complained about having to do so much more laundry than I've ever had to do, and I don't have any gratitude over laundry. (laughs) But in exchange, because of the situation we're living in, I am so grateful that I've got all this extra time with my kids to hear and ask about things that I never would have even known was going on in their lives. And so every time I do all these extra loads of laundry, also because I've been anal retentive about somehow <laughs> germs are, are passing through their clothing and I have to watch, I wash everything. Do what you got to do. I, you do what you got to do. That's helping me cope. But I, I also realize as I'm doing all the extra folding and laundry that that, you know, it reminds me of how limited this time is, you know, having this time with them that I've never had before. 
Yeah. And I'm grateful for that. And so they can live side by side or your complaints about the laundry don't cancel out your gratitude for all the other good stuff that's going on. And I think sometimes grown-ups will be very quick to equate the two. You know, like when a kid is complaining about how tight their braces are, the grown-up's like, you're really lucky to have braces. We couldn't afford braces when I was a kid. Yeah. And and the kid's like, no, I get that. And my mouth hurts. You know, they, <laughs> They're happening at the same time. You know, the other thing I just want to say to this mom and all parents right now, talk to your school about what you're seeing at home. You know, the, the challenge for schools right now is they don't get the observations. They don't get to give the work and then watch the kids do it and see how the kids are coming along with it in the ways that you get to do in a classroom. So schools are a bit in the dark, especially for kids who are remote. And what I would say is all schools want to know how it's going. All schools really care about what's happening at home. What I would also say is assume best intentions when approaching the school. They are doing something for the first time and have given it such a huge effort to get right. And they know they are still having to iterate and make changes. So reach out to the school if you have observations you think the school would want to know. But I would also say to all parents, reach out in the spirit of, hey, I don't know if you guys are hearing this from other folks. Here's what we're seeing in our house. What are you hearing? What can we be doing on our end to make things better? Do you guys have any suggestions for what could change to help this feel more manageable for her? You know, on the topic of things being more manageable, we really, I really took to heart what you said about having gratitude. Um, and, and I think even people who are unemployed, I've always, you know, when I traveled in the Middle East, I went to Gaza often, which is completely isolated from the outside world. And I, the vast majority of the people there live under the poverty line, well under the poverty mm-hmm. line. And they're run by militant group Hamas. And that's a large reason why, the significant reason why it's cut off. I've always been amazed, Lisa, when I go into the homes interviewing people, they have nothing, like completely bare cabinets of food very often. And they'll always offer me tea. Mm-hmm. And they don't even say, hey, do you want tea? They bring it out. Mm-hmm. And it's very rude, by the way, to like <laughs> not take it, yeah. you know. And even though they might not li- be living in the best of circumstances, you drink it politely. And I've always been moved by people's generosity in absolute poverty and squalor. And it got me thinking, got us both thinking about how folks at home, if you feel down, can help. And we wanted to highlight, I I love this idea you had, highlight an organization each week that folks might want to consider donating or helping out. And the one we're going to choose this week is called modestneeds.org. And it is a place where you can hear people's personal stories and decide to donate. And they say it was founded in 2002. It's a nonprofit. They don't take any government money. And they want to provide short-term financial assistance to individuals and families, um, people who might not have the ability to seek financial means that they need. Um, And they're trying to promote compassion and generosity. We don't get anything from them. They don't even know that Mm -hmm. we're plugging them in this podcast today. But if you're looking to feel a little better, and even in your worst of times, help someone out, check out www.modestneeds.org. Their motto is small change, a world of a difference. And I, I always feel good when I help someone out. It just makes such a difference for me personally. You know, what you're describing is supported by data, <laughs> that when we help other people, we feel better ourselves. And then, you know, actually thinking back to this mom, 
separate from the child complaining, not connected to it, not saying, you're being ungrateful, let's go give money. On a completely different, you know, moment or conversation, the mom might say, hey, I was looking at this website or I was looking at this local group. Think with me about where we might want to donate as a family. I I want to get your input too. So involve kids in this, but not in a way to try to counsel out their complaints, but as something separate altogether. Hmm. I hadn't thought of including the kids. What a great idea. So on that hopeful note of helping each other out, what's your parenting to go this week, Lisa? Well, so my parenting to go grows out of a part of the question we didn't get to, which is that this mom looked at the girl's online grade book and then rolled up on her with a whole lot of criticism about what she found in the online grade book, which is understandable. But one thing I've learned about teenagers is that they have two sides. They have an immature, not turning stuff in, you know, kind of disrespectful side. And they also have a mature, thoughtful, philosophical, right-doing side, forward-looking side. And in my experience, the side of the teenager you speak to is the side that shows up for that conversation. So it's easy to Monday morning quarterback this, but when the mom approached the teenager already angry, it's not a surprise she got a defensive response. When this opportunity presents itself again, which it probably will, that's when a parent might say, hey, I was looking at your grades. This isn't like you. What's going on? And invite the more mature side of the teenager into the conversation. Sometimes it's good to find the more mature side of the adult when patience (laughs) is on source supply these days as well. I'll I'll be the first to admit it. That is true. That is true. (laughs) Thank you so much, Lisa. I'll see you next week. See you next week. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe to the Ask Lisa podcast so you get the episodes just as soon as they drop. And send us your questions to asklisa at drlisademore.com. And now a word from our lawyers. The advice provided on this podcast does not constitute or serve as a substitute for professional psychological treatment, therapy, or other types of professional advice or intervention. If you have concerns about your child's well-being, consult a physician or mental health professional. If you're looking for additional resources, check out Lisa's website at drlisademore.com. We'll see you next week.